call the MacGuffin Report. Movies, TV, American culture. You in? From LA, the MacGuffin Report. Produced by Inclusive Media. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino. Woo! Uh, still playing in theaters, I hope by the time we release this. If not, it'll soon be out on video, I'm sure. After a storied career of writing and directing seminal Hollywood action art films, Quentin Tarantino brings us Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. In line with his last few films, like Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a what-if revisionist history movie that asks... What if the Manson family went to the wrong house? It stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie. Uh, let's see. Well, <laughs> as much as I would love to start this, I'm not going to. I'm going to go to Rachel. Rachel, okay. you're not much of a Tarantino head, so uh, what would you make of this film? Yeah, I mean, I've of, of the movies that I've seen of his, I've liked all of them. So, so far, so good. But I'm not like a Tarantino nerd. Like, I don't know everything about him. I, uh, I, w- I, w- I went to see this movie in like an old, like, L.A. theater. So that felt right, first of all. The, the, the theater honestly wasn't much wider than, I think it was maybe like seven seats across with an aisle in the middle. Very wow. small theater in Los Feliz. Nice. Um, but yeah, that, that set the, the mood just right, um, which I thought was great. But if, if it is still out, go catch it at Tarantino's theater because they shoot it in uh, 35 millimeter, like they project it in 35 mil. So that would be an interesting experience. And he owns it. So why not? <laughs> yeah. I, after watching it, like I had to, as with any Tarantino movie, you walk out and you're like, oh, there's a lot of feelings. I had to like think about it before I, you know, properly decided what. I felt about it. I almost, I, I kind of want to watch it again, even to really get more opinions on it. But I will say, like, uh, I want to preface this with: I was, I just finished season two of Mindhunter, so the which is about serial killers in the <laughs> 70s, 60s, and 70s. Um, so the Manson murders are very fresh in my mind, and like, I didn't, I went in knowing that this is a love letter to Los Angeles, love letter to Hollywood, but not knowing that Sharon Tate's in it, and it's 1969. Mm. And I was like, wait, I know Tarantino does a lot of brutal stuff on screen, like so brutal it makes you laugh. Like, that's how brutal. And Sharon Tate's in this movie, and it's 1969. What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Needless to say, I was like, at the end, by the end, I was like, oh, okay, all right. You know, having seen Mindhunter and kind of like, not relived, but having like gone through the like experience of like the forensic case behind the Manson family murders. I was just like, it was very fresh on the mind, like all the details and everything. It was an, I found it to be a, uh, it was a beautifully shot movie. Like the most remarkable thing was how they transformed LA back into its form in, you know, the late sixties. And I mean, not that I was there, but man, that world building, if I can use that phrase, like it was incredible. Like, well, they, they should they should and... get a special effects award for making driving in Los Angeles look fun. Oh <laughs> my gosh, was it like that back then? I have to ask. Like there was nobody on the road. I was like, what? <laughs> What's happening? Here? They didn't. The one thing they didn't do Wilshire Boulevard <laughs> on Sharon Tate's way to Westwood, where they didn't call it Westwood back then. It was like West, whatever they called it something else. 
Um, they didn't do all the Wilshire Boulevard, which I thought, why wouldn't you just do Wilshire Boulevard too? Because they did everything else, mm-hmm. but they didn't do Wilshire. And I thought maybe they were they weren't allowed to. Oh, yeah, maybe that's that's the one thing I was thinking. Yeah, I'm always wondering like how they decide all of that. But like I was blown away by the fact that they uh, Quentin Tarantino said that they were not going to do any special effects on you know any of the backgrounds. They did do some CGI when they put Leo DiCaprio's face onto an old Burt Reynolds movie, hmm. um, but that was basically the only special effects that they did. Everything else was meticulously done. I watched an interview um, on their press junket where they went down to the detail of having a pamphlet in a window of a store that Brad Pitt's character drives by. Like that was, it was like down to the very tiny details that you're never going to see. Like even on a big screen, like they went, they went ham with their set design. So, and it gave like it, nothing about it bumped for me in terms of like, Oh, that's from, you know, modern times. What are they doing? Um, It was just, I thought that was fantastic. I did notice how long the movie was halfway through. First half of it, as their you know character and world building like felt slower, and then the end, like the the last the last third of the movie was very quick. But you know, I didn't mind so much just because it was just such a pretty movie to watch, and you know, it's 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 actors like Leo and Brad and Margot that and Al Pacino that make you go like, man. That's what it is. It's like it's if you're an actor, it like it makes you want to keep going and quit at the same time because they're so good. <laughs> and they, it's it's people like that where they make it look easy. You know, they make acting look easy and that's what it's supposed to be. So it was a it was a fun movie to watch. I, I would like to see it again just to, you know, now that I know what it's about. Um, for me, like so the movie to me boiled down to three storylines, uh, Leo's character, Brad's character, Margo's character. The only interesting storyline for me was Brad's. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know the plot of the movie. I didn't know the story of the movie. I just thought, like, what? But the end, for me, made it worth sitting through two hours and whatever, 50 minutes, I think the movie was, or two hours and 40 minutes, something like that. Um, I just didn't get the story. I, I didn't know what the story was. Uh, I didn't know what the plot was. I, I, people, I know people were saying it's a slice of life uh, back then, but I'm like, but still, even slice of life, they have a story, like the beginning, middle, and end. I feel like if I had known the story before I went in, I would have been like, Jesus is taking forever. Yeah, but probably. Like, yeah, the probably end paid off, the end, the end for me, my friend and I, we were the only ones in the theater. We were laughing our butts off because it was so hilarious, and I, I wish that those uh, the the people in that little Manson, whatever we call, it wasn't a cult back then. They called something else. Manson family. Um, Manson family, yeah. I wish they were a little more annoying. They were annoying to begin with, but I wish they were more annoying to make the ending so much more satisfying. They kind of like glossed over the fact that they were all white supremacists trying to start a race war. Yeah. They really should have driven they didn't, that yeah. home. I, I, I feel thought, like Tarantino usually goes there, but for some reason he didn't, which is I'm curious. I about. think he was too busy uh, making fun of Bruce. So, uh, yeah, I, the ending for me really made it worthwhile for me to stick through that whole thing, but I just didn't. I didn't get like Sharon. I, I felt was just like an afterthought almost. I didn't. Did, she did have that little thing about watching herself, you know, in in the movie and kind of getting satiated that way. Leo's thing is like, eh. Brad's was the most interesting to me when, when he went to the Manson family compound. Um, that was a little scary when they were scary, when they're all yeah. gathered around. Yeah. But he's so like you know calm the way he played the, the character. Yeah, he wasn't so afraid. calm. He no, wasn't. he wasn't afraid at all. He was he's like, I'm gonna go talk to George. Yeah. Because right as soon as a girl says, the, uh, Dakota Fanning says, you know, no, he can't talk. All right, that's cool. <laughs> I'm going home. But Brad's like, you know what? I'm going to talk to George anyway. Yeah. And so I liked his story. But still, to me, no, there was no, like, 
beginning, middle, and end. Uh, and then like them going to the wrong house. It's like, I don't know that he went to, they went to the wrong house because my friend was saying that too. How did they go to the wrong house? I go, I didn't, I didn't look at it. They went to the wrong house. There's a line um, yeah, yeah. in the car with the girl, the brunette right. says, Hey, let's, let's kill the people that taught us how to kill. Yeah. And that would be Le- Leo's character. Yeah, yeah. It seemed intentional more than a mistake. Um, but I could see how people, if they glaze over that or they look over, like they'll just think, Oh, they went to the wrong house. And it's, it's a, you know, the ending's the same anyway, regardless, but that's kind of how I felt about the movie. Well, I can, I can talk more about this, um, later on as we go, but, uh, I, I, I did want to say this So a couple of days after I watched this film, I saw the trailer for the Irishman, which is, uh, Martin Scorsese's new thing with mm. just about every Italian actor he's ever worked with. So yep. I don't know who's playing the Irishman. Is he going to bring in Matt Damon or something? <laughs> uh, but, um, I just thought to myself after seeing that trailer and this movie, of course, I've been thinking about since then, just it's good that there are still directors around that make those sort of movies that we still talk about later, mm-hmm. you know, that have a story, that have levels, that, that you know, there's, there's different things going on that you can talk about. Even in the case of this movie, Controversies. Um, which we're going to talk about in just a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and for me, you know, it's just this isn't a franchise film. This isn't an Oscar grab. I mean, there will be Oscar nominations. I think Brad Pitt is looking really good mm-hmm. uh, for at least a nomination, if not a win. Um, it was just nice to see film, you know, filmmaking mm-hmm. again. And uh, so for that, we can be thankful. I think no matter how much you, as long as you didn't hate this film, I think the point is, is that, look, he's making a good movie. We, we talk all these days about art movies, you know, guys like Fellini, um, guys like, you know, Antonini and, and, you know, even some dudes who aren't French, uh, Kurosawa, um, uh, sorry, Italian, Kurosawa, for example. You know, we say they make art films. But they weren't doing that. They were making films, right? They weren't saying, I want to make an art film. They were just making a film which was art because it transcended the genre. You know, it's not about making Iron Man 2. Mm -hmm. It's about, I want to make this piece of art. I want to tell this story in a visually interesting way, which is what, you know, the old breed of directors still do. So in, in that respect, I was happy to do it. Now, let's throw down... Tell us about Bruce Lee. What's what's the problem with the Bruce well, Lee scene in this movie? I think the controversy. Um, I didn't actually read what uh, his daughter wrote because I, I didn't want to be uh, influenced by it. I just wanted to look at the scene as a whole. To me, they made Bruce look just dumb. That I know they did this for the joke, but when uh, Bruce says, "If I kill you with my hands, because they're registered as lethal weapons, right. I'll go to." jail and then brad pitt's line is well if anyone kills anyone with their hands it's manslaughter you're of course you're gonna go to jail and i know they did it for the joke but bruce to me if you look at his interviews he's so well thought out he would never make that flub in my opinion i don't think he'd make that flub he would just say my hands are registered as lethal weapons and that's it i don't think he'd go as far as say if i killed someone i think if if he i think he would say if i hit someone then i'd go to jail um and the actor was fine like i I don't think you know the actor uh, the actress portrayal is limited by his abilities. Um, but then there's that scene where Brad throws Bruce. Um, and I thought, okay, that, I don't know if that would ever happen in real life. Um, but I understood why it had to happen because at the end when, and I, I hope I'm not giving too much away, but when Brad kicks that guy and breaks his leg, 
we had to believe that he could do that. And I think the only way for us to believe that Brad Pitt's character can do that is if he got the best of Bruce. Even though it was just for one fight sequence, he got the best of Bruce. And so that, that to me is maybe possibly why, and that it, it sits okay with me that they presented Bruce that way. But if Quentin comes out, if someone says, that's not why Quentin did that, to show that Brad Pitt could fight well, then I, I, I do have a problem with the portrayal. My friend, though, he, who watched it, he had a different take. He, he said, oh, it's, it's a fictional movie. None of this is real. And I try to point out, yeah, but it's a, even though it's a fictional movie, they're portraying real people in there. And so that's where I think his daughter had a problem and like people that love Bruce Lee had a problem with the portrayal of, of Bruce in, in, the, in the movie. But it, for me, after the end scene, it kinda, I kind of can justify it. I don't know if that was Quentin was going for, but I can kind of justify it to set up Brad as a really good fighter. Because, I mean, at the end, he, he, he does really well. But he hammers that home so often, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean he kicks the hell out of that guy yeah. at Manson Ranch, right? Well, okay, Rachel, how about you? Where are you on this? Yeah, so I also waited to read what um, Bruce Lee's daughter said about it until after I watched it, and then I... Uh, um, so basically, she had said that like it, it was like embarrassing and emasculating and all sorts of humiliating for like if she had if Quentin had approached her to talk to her about this you know she said that Quentin doesn't know if she would have said like oh yeah okay it's fine like like she might have said that but he didn't even bother to ask or talk to her um which I thought you know that could have been a it would have been a simple phone call um and this could have been avoided um that being said now um I've, I've asked different people about it before I went to go see it. And they're like, well, like, you know, wait till, wait till you watch it. And then let me know what you think about it afterwards. Um, and now I like, I, I recognize, I you. yeah, you did. You were, you were <laughs> one of them. You were one of them. Was. Um, I mean, now that I've seen it, like I'm recognizing like this portrayal of Bruce and it's not the only one in the film. There are three, I believe, but this specific, the one that we're talking about where he's getting his ass kicked by uh, Brad Pitt's character is Brad Pitt's imagination of what if he exactly. did go to set that this day and try to, uh, uh, I forget what it's called, stunt crash, uh, and to get a job, which is how stunt people still do it today. Like if they're not working right now, they will go to it, find, find out somehow where they're filming, find the stunt coordinator and be like, hey, need a guy? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I can do, I can do wires. And they'll get a job that day. Mm-hmm. Like that's how a lot of them still work. Um, which is awesome. Can't do that as an actor. Um, <laughs> um, if you want to get blacklisted, just a warning. Yeah, so, like, now that I understand, like, this was Brad Pitt's imagination. Like, oh, yeah, like, I, right. prob- I probably shouldn't go to work today because, you know, like, I might piss somebody off by, you know, like, beating up Bruce Lee on set. And it's like, no, he was just daydreaming about this and then oh there's a daydream it was a daydream oh i missed they that immediately they completely right, missed that they cut right back to him fixing the uh the antenna on uh leo dicaprio's yeah. roof and he, he's like yeah yeah i better not he does the thing <laughs> it's amazing because only brad pitt right he takes off his shirt he parkours up and then he's standing there on the roof and he just thinks about, you know, this bit. Now, I thought, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought he was remembering back to when he last could get a job on a set and he messed it up by getting into a fight with Bruce Lee. So it's not That's a daydream. So then it's not a daydream. I thought it was but a daydream. No, but it's, the, the important thing is, and again, okay, 
because this is what I wanted to get across, and I'm sorry in advance if I'm coming across as a white apologist, okay? <laughs> but I think that we have gotten lazy about A, accusing people of various, you know, thought crimes, and B, like not paying attention to watching in the movie. Now, look, maybe one of us is incorrect about whether it's a flashback, whether it actually happened or not, but the truth is it's his subjective viewpoint of what happened. Okay, now look, everybody's going on, he kicks his ass both up. Okay, the first thing that happens is he gets kicked full on in the face, right, by Bruce, Mm -hmm. right? It's one kick and he goes straight back like this. Okay, defying all rules of physics, (laughs) right, first of all. Second of all, there's no mark on his face, anything. It's a fantasy, right? He kicks Bruce, and that whole side of the car is dented, right? It's bad. He, thro- he throws Bruce. He yeah, throws- and, yeah, it flips him over, uses yeah, yeah. his weight against him, yeah. right? And he goes, and the whole thing is dented, and he just stands up. Is that realistic? No. I mean, the whole thing was so fantastical as to be absurd. It's just like, I couldn't believe yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't people- catch any of that. And plus, and plus, remember, too, they said best two falls out of three. Well, it was one to one. When the fight got broken up, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't understand why people think he kicked his ass. Now, a lot of people complained about the braggadocio that Bruce Lee was doing. Okay, well, the thing is, the thing about bragging about beating up Cassius Clay, not Muhammad Ali, the thing about beating up Cassius Clay, he says that. It's in his autobiography, mm-hmm, yeah. or it's in a biography, right? It's in there, right? Yeah. He didn't make that up. And, and I think that all the other stuff about him being like a braggart was just, you know, this is a bunch of stunt guys hanging out, you know, talking trash to each other, right? Why wouldn't he say, I could beat up Muhammad Ali? The Why bra- I don't have the do problem. Yeah, I don't have a problem with the bragging, because that was Bruce. I mean, no, but, see, but the I bragging don't... part, though, with Bruce, to me, he says it more as a matter of factly. Okay. To me, Bruce, to me Bruce wasn't someone that was like, hey, yeah, I could kick Cassius Clay's butt. It wasn't like that. It was just, I think if he's asked something, he's going to give his honest opinion about it. Yeah. But going back to the day, the daydream or the flash or whatever, I didn't catch that at all. See, I thought I just it thought, was a daydream because the set that they show, he goes up to, I think the stunt coordinator's name is, I forget what it is. Anyway, not important. Played by he, Kurt Russell, though. Played by Kurt Russell. Right. Like, he goes up to him, and it's outside Leo's trailer where he's sitting, and he goes, oh, Cliff. And like, you know, but less happily so. Um, and so that's why I thought it was the same day. And I thought it was actually happening until they cut back to him where he's yeah. on the roof fixing the antenna. Think, And then I was like, oh, this didn't actually happen. Yeah. Like he was imagining if I went to set right now, if I like put this antenna down, put my shirt back on, rappel down off the roof, go to set and try to get a job, like I'd probably get kicked off because this guy doesn't like me and I would kick Bruce Lee's butt or something like that. It's just as much his um, view of things as the tiny bit you get on the boat, right? That's also subjective. That's also Brad Pitt thinking back in the past about what a bitch his wife was, that she just bitches and complains all the time. And then they cut away, right, before they say whether he actually like chucked her off the boat or not. Right? Or shot her with a harpoon. Shot her with the harpoon. Or whatever, yeah. But that's his, you know, again, that's his subjective thing. That's Brad yeah. Pitt's character's view of events. And that's one. And look, you remember when Game of Thrones was on in last season, Walter, and you used to rail on this on Facebook all the time about people saying, I've never watched a single episode of yeah, Game yeah. of Thrones. And you'd go, oh, aren't you so cool? This is how I feel about people ripping on Quentin Tarantino nowadays. I mean, the dude's only done like, what, nine excellent films now? 
and people are ripping on him because it's cool because he does films about white people and he drops the N-word. Look, if you don't like Mr. White because he says N this and N that, good. You're not supposed to like him. Yeah. He's a despicable character. Brad Pitt in this movie is a bad guy. And maybe we're uncomfortable with the fact that we think he's appealing and he's Brad Pitt, for God's sake, but he is a bad guy. See, I don't get him as point. a bad guy. I don't get him as a bad guy in this movie. No, actually. He was well, a he's, violent... He's an anti-hero, is the way <laughs> yeah. I okay. picked up All right. Oh, okay. Like, I, I see what you're saying about bad guy. Okay. I misunderstood like, what you were we, saying. We, we like him, but we don't necessarily like to like him. Right. Like, he probably killed his wife right. and got oh, away yeah. with it, but it's like... You know, we watch everything from his point of view, so right. we're like, oh, no, it's fine. And if it's fine. and if you think he's a racist about Bruce, fine, you should. Oh, I don't pick that is. up at all. I don't. Yeah, yeah I don't is. pick up the. I, for me, I don't think. It's I don't think character. Bruce's portrayal was racist in, um, in terms of like Brad's viewpoint. Uh, and I didn't pick up on the daydream and flashback thing at all. But now, having process processing the whole the daydream thing, I thought maybe and maybe it's because of my own ego. Maybe that should have been made more clear that it was his daydream and his, his it was a fantastic thing. One thing that I didn't like about the fight scene was is that Brad's using and I, I could be wrong about this, but he's using more modern fight techniques. Yeah, which I thought that that's just a little weird. Um, and maybe this is intentional because if it is a fantasy sequence, if it is a daydream, maybe you know that that's it makes more sense or plausible that he's using these modern fight, fight, fighting techniques. Um, but yeah, for me the whole thing is just the part I think. But people had a problem with is the portrayal of the honorable Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. And you just can't touch Bruce for yeah. yellow people. And yeah. I think that's where it becomes problematic. Um, it'd be like if someone well, tarnished. question this online. Like, okay, what if that had been Muhammad Ali? Yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah. Right. What? What? If, now, now we would expect that, right? Because Ali, I am the greatest. You know, yeah. I, I've I've never played golf, but I'm the greatest at it. You <laughs> know, he'd say stuff yeah. like that, and he would have been okay. So I, I wonder what they would have thought about that. And because that's the thing. he's almost that like that god godlike. Well, yeah, for uh, for black is. people, for sports people, mm-hmm. he's some people consider him the greatest athlete ever. Mm-hmm. And if he was portrayed in a in a situation where. And I'm gonna say shaky because I, I didn't pick up on it. Whether whether it was a daydream sequence or whether it was reality, and he was portrayed as Brad Pitt getting the best of Muhammad Ali, whether it was one and one or two one whatever, um, I think people would be up in arms at the legacy of Muhammad Ali. And I think mm-hmm. that's what's going on with Bruce because for yellow people, it's Bruce. That that's there's there's no Yao Ming's not up there, uh, Jeremy Lin's not up there. It's Bruce. Bruce. Bruce is it. And so when any any slight that people might feel it's like, Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Like we're, we're going to, you know, get on, we're going to jump on this real quick. So, um, but even, but for me, considering the daydream aspect of it, uh, that does lessen the blow for me in that, but I, I, I wish it would have been made more, cl- I think more clear. Cause to me, it seemed like it was part of his day. Like he went to fix the antenna. He said, you know, I'm going to go and he goes, he gets kicked off set. Now he's back to fixing the antenna. Mm. That's the way I looked at it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm just gonna daydream about this, mm-hmm. and you know, think what would happen if I go, mm. um, because there wasn't that many sequences where he was daydreaming. It was the one when when yeah. they talk about he might have killed his wife. Right. They cut to that, but they don't. It's not like he's daydreaming throughout his storyline. And I think if he no, daydreamed yeah, throughout his storyline, right. it would have been more clear. Because um, yeah, my friend and I, none of us picked up on the whole daydream thing. I the way I took that, the way I took it was, he's going to fix the antenna, and he's you know what, I'm gonna go go try to go on set, and then. He fights Bruce and it didn't work out. He got fired and now he's going back to fix the antenna because that's the only thing he has to do is work for Leo. Uh-huh. Um, that's kind of the way I took it. And then, like I said, um, to me, if it was a setup to show that he's a good fighter, you know, it worked because he obviously he takes care of business. 
Well, yeah, I thought it was just that he thought he was a great fighter. You know, that yeah. thing yeah. is that like, you know, wow, you know, Bruce could probably kick Muhammad Ali's ass, but I'm going to kick Bruce's ass. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm so good. You the know? way we and, would find out is we would see what that stunt coordinator guy's wearing. If it's matching what he's wearing right. on the day that Leo's shooting. Yeah, yeah. That's how we would find out, I think. Maybe. I mean, not that not that Cliff, Cliff would know what he's wearing anyway because he's not been to set to see the guy. It's, but. it's kind of a problematic movie, too, in that, I mean, it's explicitly about stuff like Death of the 60s. It's stuff about Death of the Westerns on TV mm-hmm, yeah. and pop culture. It's about, like, you know, it's one of these old white guys moving out kind of things, you know? It's no coincidence that at the end of the show, they do Batman, right? They do, like, a voiceover of a Batman ad, right? And some of that is about superheroes um, being so prevalent nowadays, but a lot of it is just it's the Western is out. These guys are out. Stuff is being replaced by this, you know? And I just wanted to say about that too. I think it really would have blown everybody's mind if he had put a Star Trek thing on the end there (laughs) because of the rumors that he's going to do Star Trek. And I think it also would have been neat because guys like DeForest Kelly and William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy started on TV where in Westerns. Right. And that was kind of the point of the Batman thing is like a lot of those Batman dudes started in Westerns as well. Um, so there's all that stuff, too. There's the don't cry in front of the Mexicans line. Right? Yeah. But this is explicit. These guys hate hippies. They hate like Mexican folks, to, not to put too fine a point on it. Brad's character probably hates Bruce Lee, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, I mean, like he derisively calls him Cato. Yeah. Which is which is one thing I was going to say, too. For all of these folks who have this problematic portrayal of Bruce, let's not forget that he played a stereotype, mm. you know, for a couple of years. Well, back you know? then it wasn't a stereotype, though. It was just Cato. It was just what it was. Well, we're, that we're, was the part you got. Yeah, right? that it's was the what Hollywood you got. shuffle yeah. thing. Right? It is That's, a stereotype now, though. Because now it like, is. If yeah. somebody, right. if I were to walk into a room, be a token, and then get called Cato, I would have to take that as an oh insult. yeah, yeah, of course. It's you being the token, you being the you know, you're clearly this. You're not a person. You're this idea of what I think an Asian yeah. person is. Right. But yeah, like back to the whole Bruce Lee thing. Like, I mean. There are other areas where it can be seen as problematic, and I like I'm still like kind of wrestling with how I feel about this. I saw it fairly recently, um, just to be fresh for the podcast. Uh, but uh, I mean, he's also kind of he's the only Asian person in this movie, yeah. right? So that doesn't help either. Like yeah. he's he's all we got to represent. And I understand the arg- like you know the the whole fact that you know these are antiheroes that we're rooting for. We don't have to like them. In mm-hmm. fact, we're not supposed to like them. We're supposed to question. You know, man, this character Brad Pitt is playing is really charming, but he does all these shitty things. Like, yeah. you know, and that's okay. Like, that's Quentin Tarantino's style. His style is to make you laugh and then make you wonder, am I a good person because I laughed at that? Should I have laughed at that? Like, what am I? Like, what are my biases and my opinions but, and things like that? But check it out. But check it out. Look, he's also being honest too, right? There's no black people in that movie. There's no sure, real yeah. Mexican characters, and on the Hollywood set, there's no women. There's a little girl, and then there's the woman that kicks, you know, Brad off the set. But she's like a director or something. Yeah, and Sharon Tate's character has like two lines. Right. That's the thing. That's what TV was in the 60s is a bunch of white guys. And not even like Jewish guys anymore. White guys, you know, wasps. 
That's what was running ABC, NBC, CBS in those days for that whole decade or two. I mean, that's what it was. And to do that is realistic. Look, this is one thing. I'm going to get real controversial here. This is one thing that I have a real problem with, with this drive for inclusivity on TV. Okay? Like, we, because it can be even harmful in terms of historical revisionism. Okay, for example, we talked about Doctor Who a few episodes ago. I remember there was a Doctor Who episode which all, was, was all about Madame du Pompadour and the French court of the 18th century, right? Well, in scenes of the French court, they had some black people with the powdered wigs and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and to some people, they're going to look at that and they're going to go, well, I don't see what folks are complaining about. I mean, they've always had some people in royalty, Right. They've always been a part of upper society as well as (laughs) right. And I mean, to do that, if you were doing this movie and, you know, you have Leo playing the scene and and the other guy in the scene is a black cowboy. That's I call bullshit on. Yeah, because that's not how it was. If you want an uncompromising film about how unfair it was for minorities in Hollywood, how else are you going to do it except have everybody be white guys? Have the Indians being played by white guys? Because yeah. that's what they did. You know, and it would have been dishonest to do it in any way. Look, did anybody notice this? This is the first film since Reservoir Dogs that Tarantino did not put Sam Jackson in. Yeah. Because he has no part in no. 1969 Hollywood. That's why. Yeah. It's the only honest way to do it. Yeah, yeah, I've got no problems. Like I've this. got no problems with the casting of the movie at all. You know what I mean, I've got none. Because uh, yeah, inclusivity. Then th- this is why I say uh, one of the best ways for white people not not be, to be forced to cast yellow people, black people, and brown people is to do uh, period, <laughs> like period like pieces. Just, just do period yeah, pieces. just do period pieces. Right. Sure, That's, all they do is period pieces. You don't have to cast anyone. Sure, because they, they, their argument is, well, there was no one around then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you also don't have to keep telling those stories either. That's the point is you don't have to keep telling the stories of the old dead white guys. Yeah. You know, that's the point. I want to make a quick point. I like also because they did show Bruce Lee twice more. And, you know, he was teaching Sharon Tay and another character how to throw a punch and everything. And I thought that the fact that the, he included those scenes in addition, like he didn't have to keep those like those could have he could have thrown those out and not had um Bruce Lee in the story at all but you know those were not over the top exaggerated arrogant portrayals of Bruce and that was what made me think oh that scene was a daydream where like you know Brad Pitt's character is being shitty and thinking like you know Bruce Lee sucks so that was because the fact that they showed Bruce Lee later and I might be wrong about this but you know that was the thought where that's what triggered my thought of okay like I think that was that was a farce that's playing in Cliff's mind. If it was a flashback and not a daydream, does that change how you feel about it? If this is what Tarantino, this is his portrayal of Bruce. Okay, if that's for real, yeah, I would think far less of Quentin Tarantino. For I mean, that, but I don't honestly. So having watching, yeah, having I, watched, I, I don't think so. Either. I watched some press interviews about this to kind of Tarantino's reaction of it. As expected, he does not apologize, but he also says, like, he come he, I don't know, I, I'm on the fence about this. He came out and said, like, this is the way Bruce Lee talked. Like, Bruce Lee has said those things. So, I mean, I'm not entirely sure what he's getting at there, and I was kind of like, mm. It's probably the Cassius Clay stuff. Yeah, it's probably yeah, but, yeah. like, yeah. kind of, this is, this is, this is what he said, this is how he talked. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've watched interviews of him. He's kind of a, I can tell he's kind of a hothead, especially, which is kind of weird for like a martial artist because you think, but I mean, he's a personality though. He's more of a movie star than a, you know, a monk. Because he does talk, like he does, he did, bra- like people took it as braggadocio stuff, but it's for him, it's a very matter of factly. Yeah. It's he's, all facts. That's just how Chinese people speak. Yeah. It's hmm. not bragging. It's like, this is what happened and this is. Yeah, hmm. and like I can do it's this. Very much a cultural thing. Yeah, like he, yeah. when he says I can beat up Cassius Clay or whatever, whichever words he used, he actually believes it, and it's not bragging because for him it's just like it's, I can yeah. I can yeah. walk from here to there. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah, and it's, it, he knows that he's representing the rest of his people, so he has to, you know, he has to get his. Yeah. For the future Asians coming up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in society, he can take a seventy-five pound dumbbell, and he could hold it out. Um, let's see, horizontally parallel to the ground, curl it, and then bring it back and hold it there for like 10 or 15 seconds, being 120 pounds soaking wet. So he was incredibly strong. And because he was so fast, like that's why the argument, there, there was an argument I remember in the 90, 80s and 90s, can Bruce Lee beat up Mike Tyson? There was an argument, you know, and there's you hear both sides and you're like, oh, okay. Both sides have valid uh, arguments. Of course, we're never going to know, but... That was one of the arguments, uh, or like the debates. That was always the knock against dudes like Schwarzenegger is is that, you know, oh yeah, the bodybuilding muscles look great, but they're totally non-functional. Yeah. I mean, you're <laughs> yeah. in a small space, you're screwed, dude. Yeah. And, and it doesn't video? help your speed you yeah. know, at all. Have you guys seen that video? I think it's uh, Bruce Lee. He's putting out matches with, uh, I forget what it is, but they have like, there's people, they light matches and they'll throw them in the air and Bruce Lee is like... With nunchucks? Yeah. Yeah, so some of those are, out. yeah, because you know there's one he's playing ping pong with nunchucks? Apparently that's all mm. CGI. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, apparently it's CGI. But like he, he's, that, that he's fast though. Like, I mean, if you, oh, no, I mean, it was, it was a current, yeah. Oh. But like he did the one inch punch. Yeah. Um, where, you know, they have documented interviews of the people he did it to. And like one of the guys was the Pan Am Games gold medalist for judo. And he was talking about how, what the hell just happened? <laughs> like this small guy just did the one inch punch and I'm on my butt right now. Like, I'm the Pan Am, like, gold medalist. And so there's documented things of this. Like, his strength was incredible. And so, yeah, that's why, like, that, that whole sequence. But no, now knowing, like, uh, the daydream aspect of it, it does, for me, make a, a very different uh, dynamic. Yeah, Tarantino uh, has said this. It's, it's, like, it's like Bruce Lee fighting Dracula. I mean, who knows who would really win that fight? I mean, I remember in the 70s, they did the special comic book, Superman versus Muhammad Ali. You know, it's like a fic- it's fictional character. Yeah, there's a real guy, but there's a fictional character. Who knows what would happen? Yeah. It's a silly argument, you know? Maybe he could kick his butt. Maybe he couldn't. You For, know? To answer the Bruce Lee Dracula question, it depends which Dracula, which mythology. <laughs> and if it were the middle of the day, hey, Cause, no problem. Because yeah, if it's Brad Pitt's Dracula from Interview with the Vampire, Brad Pitt wins that one because yeah, right? he's super right. fast. He's super fast. <laughs> Where does Tarantino fit? in the list of greatest American filmmakers list. No. <laughs> I mean, uh, probably the greatest American filmmaker of all time, pound for pound, is Kubrick, right? I mean, he only did about 12 films, and every single one of them is a master of the genre, right? I mean, he's got, like, the great horror film, the great science fiction film. He's got the great black comedy film, you know. So Tarantino is rather limited, because he doesn't do a lot of genre stuff, you know, he kind of just stays in that 
I don't know. I don't know even what you would call it at this yeah. point. All the anti-genre. It, yeah, it's 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 high on dialogue and punctuated by violence. Yeah. That tends to be yeah. like his genre. But I mean, you gotta love. I mean, again, he makes films and he takes his time doing them, and his dialogue is awesome. And I think he might be the best living director. I mean, uh, I made I made a bit of a list. I think that you know, there's Martin Scorsese is still around. My some of my personal favorites, Terry Gilliam. Uh, Spike Lee, but almost nobody sees their films anymore. Um, there's some foreign guys who are still doing great stuff, like you know John Woo is still around. Uh, Tom Twiker in Germany does great stuff. Um, but I don't know, pound for pound, he might be our best living director right now. Um, and he's only got one more film, right? Yeah. <laughs> so he says. Allegedly. So he says. Allegedly. So he says. Uh, for me, like I, I like Pulp Fiction a lot, but after that, I just thought he was just okay. Like the other stuff was just okay. It wasn't like great. Like Paul Fiction to me, I really, I really enjoyed watching it. Uh, the other stuff was just like okay. Hmm. Um, I used to love Cameron Crowe a lot, but then he he got on this thing where he's trying to um, do tackle two genres in the same film. Right? I think it's really kind of put his filmmaking at a real kind of it's 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 uh, was it halted or like stunted his Stunt. filmmaking? Yeah, stunted. There we go. Um, but yeah, I mean Quentin Tarantino, he's up there for me. My personal feeling, he's up there. Um, but I mean, I, I think I still think John Hughes, I mean, I know it's not critically acclaimed stuff, but all this stuff was very popular. It survived. Yeah. And that says something to yeah. me. I mean, granted, yeah, he didn't win the Oscar or anything for, uh, for anything, but, uh, the popularity and the, res- the how it resonates still. Like, I mean, Breakfast Club, I, I, I've talked to high school and college kids that they still, they just, I just saw that and it's great. And you're like, how crazy is that? You're watching a movie where there's no technology at all. Because um, you guys would be sitting in detention with your phones, you know, all that, and there's nothing that still resonates with them. And so, like, to me, John Hughes is, is really good. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, Quentin Tarantino, to me, like, he does do thought provoking things. Like, for instance, obviously, we talked about Once, Once Upon a Time in America. Um, I love the violence in the movies because it's just fun. The way he, the way he uh, portrays it, <laughs> you, you don't have any problem with, uh, I mean, like, Once Upon a Time, yeah, there was, I mean, there was a time where I was like, okay, they're getting hit maybe too, too many times. Was it when Cliff was smashing that girl's face into yeah, the Yeah, like, like maybe two, On acid. three, yeah. And On so, acid. like, yeah, there's stuff, it's like, but I still enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it. Like, as I was watching it, I was like, yes. See, 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 this is what Tarantino has done. This is what makes him a generational filmmaker like Kubrick, is that he has created his own aesthetic. Right. There is such a thing as a Tarantino film. It's like when you say something yes. is Fellini-esque. Very few filmmakers get to become an adjective yeah. <laughs> like that. That is but very Tarantino true. Tarantino has done that. The reason why you laugh at his violence is because it's like this release. Yes. Right. He builds it all up. And even in slower movies like Jackie Brown, he's building up this stuff all the time. And there's two ways to release it, either with a really funny joke, which sometimes he does, or violence, which he usually does. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, but that's a Tarantino thing. Others have imitated it, but yeah. no, one, no one's really, he's, I mean, he's... He's an adjective. He's up there. No, for sure. Yeah, I would definitely peg him as like one of the top directors of our time. Like he, like you said, like you watch a Tarantino film and you know. You know it's him. You know it's him. Yeah, you know it's him. You know when it's a knockoff. Um, But yeah, he's up there with like Scorsese and all those big guys. Like just thinking about like a lot of the movies that I've seen recently, like or even in the past like 
five, ten years or so. Like, th- whenever I've gone to see a Tarantino movie, like, the, the scenes that he crafts, like, stick out boldly. And, you know, can't say that about everybody. Well, especially nowadays. I mean, it feels like, at least in America, he's one of the last star directors. You know, for yeah. a long time, yeah. beginning in the 70s, the director was the star of the movies. Yeah. Spielberg and Coppola yeah. and Scorsese. And Fincher. Terrence Malick and even the independent guys like Kevin Smith and Spike. And, you know, these guys were the star more than, you know, Humphrey Bogart and stuff in the 50s and 60s. Right. But now the franchise is the star. Right. It's going to be a situation where, you know, one of my favorite trivia questions is, OK, who directed Casablanca? And it's amazing how many people don't know, right? Well, in the future, I'm going to be able to go, okay, who directed Iron Man? Yeah. <laughs> right? Because again, like, but for a while, who directed E.T.? I mean, who directed Schindler's List, right? Who directed The Godfather? People knew these. And I think that's disappearing. I think the director is no longer a star. I think Tarantino could very well be the yeah. last star director, yeah, at yeah, least in America. Because it- Mexico is cranking them out, right? They <laughs> yes. keep winning the Academy Awards, yes. but... In America, not so much. Yeah, because if, if if Joss Whedon can kind of be somewhat hidden by directing the Avengers, yeah, that that tells us <laughs> says a lot. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Justice League as well. I mean, he he supposedly saved that film, and nobody even knows that it's, that he did it. Yeah, you know. So it's like I think that I think that that's the end of you know the star director. And I think you know Tarantino. He's a special one. I mean, whether you love him or hate him, he has a style. Yeah. And that's what a director is supposed to do. They're supposed to put their thumbprint on this thing that's been put together by sometimes thousands of people. You've still got to make it your own. Yeah. After yeah. That, you know, and, and, and Tarantino does that. And almost, I mean, you, you talk about how you like John Favreau's movies, for example. I okay. Do. Yeah. But, I he like Iron Man a lot. but he doesn't really have a style. You know, he doesn't really have, you can't walk into a movie and go, oh, Favreau. Okay. This yeah. is Favreau esque. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I you guess could, that would be Quentin would be the auteur. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. kind of that that term kind of dissipated. Yeah, like in the nineties uh, and the aughts. But People like, just say it ironically. Yeah, but yeah. Tarantino would be the auteur because he he writes, he directs, and he's got his style, mm. and, and that's him. Like yeah, f- with Favreau, I enjoyed Iron Man. Uh, but, Jungle Book. Yeah, but he doesn't have like a certain yes. style to it. You know, like what what's his face that did um, Tim Burton. He had a style. Yeah. He had a style. He has one style. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, he's trying to pigeonhole everything into that style. Here, do a film on Richard Nixon. Okay, he's going to be in a gothic castle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. I want you guys to think about this question as homework for the next show uh, playing off of this Tarantino question is, what is Pulp Fiction about? This has been the MacGuffin Report with Rachel Wong, Oz Davis, Walter Hall, produced by Inclusive Media.